Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the new PL Principles and Leadership in Business, the podcast series. Thanks for tuning in again this week. I'm Paul and I run the Amplifier Group. We're a performance management business focused on working with business leaders, entrepreneurs, and teams to help them improve their business's performance and culture by integrating commercial creativity, that's creativity with a real commercial rationale and reason, into the heart of their business so they can become even more strategic, productive, agile, and commercially successful. And we believe business needs a new P&L, one that is as much focused on principles and leadership as it is on profit and loss. Because we know if your principles are right and aligned with your purpose and your leadership has a clear vision, focus, strength, and empathy, then your business will be in profit and not loss in so many ways. We've had some incredible guests over the last nine weeks, and this week we have another outstanding contribution to the new PL community. I'm very pleased to welcome Veronica Heaven to the show this week. Veronica is founder and managing director of the Heaven Company a UK-based consultancy specialising in corporate responsibility and sustainability. Veronica works with clients in a broad and growing range of sectors, including retail, construction, food and drink, power, IT and education, as well as a number of government departments, helping all of them to implement change with commercial realism as well as the environment in mind. Veronica is an Associate Parliamentary Group member, and she's well-versed in the popular and legislative issues in the UK, and the international sustainability regulations and international expectations in this regard. Veronica's worked closely with government departments and businesses on sustainability and traceability regulations and strongly believes that sustainability is a vital value proposition for business, one that is attractive to all stakeholders, including customers. Finally, Veronica is also founder of Briefcases, a model for cooperation between business and academia. It's currently working to place over a thousand students in leading businesses across a diverse range of industries in the UK. So Veronica, a very warm welcome to the new P&L. Thank you so much, Paul. Thank you. Veronica, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today on the new P&L, Principles in Leadership and Business. As you lead a business with a rather celestially titled The Heaven Company, I think it would be great if you could begin the podcast by giving listeners a, an overview of what you do how you do it and who you do it for. Thanks so much, Paul. Well, thank you for inviting me to speak with you today. The Heaven Company is, is actually a values-led sustainability communications consultancy and education business, providing expertise and management support in communications, sustainability, and wider corporate responsibility issues. So we're helping clients to formulate strategy and to effectively implement it, measure it, and reporting, report it too. Um, we're working with CEOs and senior management teams in a range of sectors, as you've mentioned, so food, drink, brewing, forestry, architecture, the built environment, lots of different sectors. And we're really helping them to define and implement and communicate responsible business practice and what makes them special. So my view is that there is no one size fits all. So for each business, it's about understanding who they are, what are their ambitions and their strategic intent. And I'm going to come back to the side of strategic intent to help them to reach their goals. And we use our know-how and work with commercial realism to help them go further to realize their aims. Um, you've mentioned briefcases, and that's an important strand within the business, and that is concerned with education, which really started as part of our own outreach, and that's become an important part of what we do. And for many of our clients, the education part of our business is a vehicle that helps them to deliver tangible social value and social benefit locally on the ground where they operate. Thank you. Okay, so 
I guess sustainability is such a broad topic. So let's start with the company and its way of thinking. Company culture clearly plays a, an incredibly critical role in ensuring the commitment to sustainability is embedded into the fabric of the business. And I guess it's easy-ish to give a company a sustainability plan and to say, this is what you need to do. It's perhaps much harder to get them to act on it in big and little ways day after day, month after month, year after year. So how does the Heaven Company work with businesses in this regard to ensure they are committed to the plan and continue to act on it? Hmm. Well, every company is different. It can depend on the starting point. It can depend on what the organisational structure is of that company. It can depend on the on, on the actual leadership structure also, and or indeed actually the motivation and the reason for them engaging in this agenda in the first place. Strategic intent and values are two of the most important aspects, as well as taking a long-term approach and view, and that's absolutely crucial. But you know what it's like as individuals. If you're taking a decision that you think of as a short-term decision, you just kind of to get you over a hurdle, you might likely just take one path. Whereas if you're thinking of something for a longer-term view, then the decisions that you take are likely very different, much more holistic, because you're thinking about the longer-term consequences of the whole of the whole of the decision. So as well as helping to strengthen the sustainability agenda within our clients' own businesses, we're taking that agenda into the supply chain and that's a vital development. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of work that's involved in doing that, you know, things such as supplier mapping and surveys and meetings and supply chain valuing and supply yeah. chain appreciation. But this is why my view about this, this the view of the strategic intent and values and taking this longer term view, that's why this is so important. And we run supplier conferences as an inclusive and aspirational engagement educational opportunity and I guess the key difference of our approach compared to the kind of normal things when you start talking about suppliers and supplier engagement is rather than looking at things from a compliance and risk avoidance perspective, we're focusing on it from a looking at it as a powerful educational opportunity and how you can work towards encouraging, encouraging things like shared values and, you know, encouraging this idea of a shared future yep. so that like-minded suppliers are working with the client. Okay. I'm sure you find when working with businesses as well that you know, if we're to, to look out there globally at the moment, there are obviously there are many great things going on from an environmental perspective, but there are also very many worrying things. Countries failing to meet their commitments on the environment, pulling out of accords, questioning the fundamental principles upon which science around environmental issues is based, and so on. So given all this, can we can we expect businesses to take the lead on sustainability and addressing the issues infecting the environment when we don't see much courageous, concerted political leadership on these issues at a, at a supranational or international level? You know, how can businesses be expected to step up when perhaps governments aren't or the perception is that governments aren't? That's a really good question. Well, I think, I think first of all, I say businesses always find a way. But I also want to say is that we have to remember that lots of interesting things have happened recently. And in May 2019, the UK Parliament was the first in the world to declare an environment climate emergency, mm -hmm. recognising that we need to take dramatic action right now. Actually, it's needed now. 
Um, since that time, a lot of local authorities across the UK, local authorities and councils, they've also introduced their own climate emergency declarations. And hopefully we'll start to see things playing out, you know, bit by bit. We'll start to see that sort of realised in the, in the public sector agenda. Um, but the public is much more informed now. And of course, we know that, you know, the customer is always king. So the public is much more informed now. And they, we've, you know, we've seen all sorts of public demonstrations and various things happening. So to your question, sort of despite the madness and uncertainty of what we've been seeing over the past few years, um, where a lot, pretty much, you know, business has been left in a vacuum, there is some action that's happening. And um, there is some action that's happening. And actually, we're starting to see changing happening at, at, a, at a political level. And that must definitely start to filter down because we've seen that previously. So what we always know is that when you've got governments who are leading in a strong way, then actually it kind of forces the hand. But specifically in terms of business, I'm quite interested. There's some, there's some really interesting statistics that are coming out. And there's one in particular that comes to mind, which is coming from the S&P. It's the components of market value. And it looks at how much of a company's value is actually explained by physical and financial assets compared with sort of intangible factors, things that you wouldn't really, you know, necessarily immediately think of. Because we all think of when you look at companies, you think, oh, well, is there, what's on their balance sheets? What is in, what's in their, how many sites and locations do they have? And so this S&P uh, review is really quite interesting because it kind of goes every few years, they look at it every few years. And in 2009, only 19% of a company's market value was explained by physical and financial assets right. compared to 83% in 1975. And in 2015, so we'll expect to see um, a thing come through in probably about 19, in 2020, but in 2015, around 16% of a company's value is explained by physical and financial assets versus those sort of intangible, you know, what does the company stand for, etc. And to me, what that means is that people are much more interested in just, it's not just about what the buildings are or the balance sheet when it comes to determining the business value. And those non-financial measures are increasingly important in adding value to the business. So for me, this kind of, this notion about starting to think about, okay, what is the value of business then? You know, what, the, the value of values, what is the value of business? And it, those sorts of numbers start to set the tone. Mm -hmm. It sets the rationale. It, it provides a business imperative as to why, as companies, companies need to be taken into perspective. We know that there are environmental and social governance, ESG, uh, and other metrics. So physical and financial assets are no longer the only measure. Yeah. And alongside this, there's a, there's a much more um, increasing amount of non-financial reporting so that people can look at, you know, beyond just what's, what you're declaring in, in, in your annual report, basically. So as a company, the Heaven Company is a registered organisational stakeholder and part of something called the Global Reporting Initiative, which is perhaps uh, the world's largest sustainability reporting initiative. Right. And what we see from these, these sort of like big holistic uh, ways of looking at things is that the extent and depth to which people are reporting on material issues affecting their businesses, so things including climate change, human rights, governance, social well-being, all those sorts of things and so on, it's substantial. And Mr. Joe Public, people as well as investors want to know more about how you do what you do. Yeah. And this whole notion of, you know, for some time, and unfortunately we've seen a lot of this where both from governance level but also from businesses, trust has been significantly eroded. Mm. And, you know, we, we need to do more in terms of 
you know, rebuilding that trust for businesses. And there's, an, a, again, a very interesting study from Edelman. They do a, an annual um, trust barometer and credibility study in the 2019 version of it. It was very interesting to see how they look at it from, they do for different countries. And the Britons, um, British people do expect businesses to take on internal factors, of course, you know, making sure they're paying their taxes and doing that kind of stuff. But also, you know, and acting fairly, but also external factors like, you know, investing in infrastructure and protecting the environment. So more is expected from leading brands. So businesses actually are expected to do more than just enough. And what we see is that the trusted brands are not only talking about change, but they're actually driving that forward. Yeah. Okay. So, so you know, it's it, it's you know, so really from my from my point of view, the whole sustainability piece is that if a company is looking for a competitive advantage, then sustainability can be it. And yeah. um, so it, it works from a you know from a working to help your business do more of the things that you want to achieve but actually there's a much bigger purpose as well in terms of the values and purpose of businesses as well and of course when that those actions are also supported by the mechanisms of government such as legislation and regulation that it's not just the big leading businesses that do well but it's actually all the other businesses as well you know the secondary and third tier, tier businesses that start to have to act too so from time to time, we see many of the leading fashion brands, and I'm sure you have heard a number of recent announcements, announcements stating that they will be plastic-free by this date or use only organic cotton by this date. And often those dates announced are you know, quite some time in the distant future, five or 10 years away. And I certainly accept it takes time to change and to adapt the supply chain and so on. But I also do wonder how much of these announcements are more about enhancing the brand perception and the share price. Surely if a brand with that amount of power really wanted to make a bigger change right now or in a shorter period, they could. So I'd really welcome your view on that. Yeah, it's a tricky one, Liz, because I'm always very wary of calling out greenwashing when somebody has announced an intention to, you know, to do something or to travel along a particular path. Because, you know, the truth is, I think we all know that it, you have to set a goal and then you have to start working towards that. And sometimes when they make a big claim, it can be made through enthusiasm rather than through deception. So they're not trying to necessarily deceive. It's just like, you know, we're, we're, this is our big aim. And then it may well be that they haven't fully understood the complexity that goes behind the, cha- you know, the challenge that they're actually um, they're, they're aiming for. Yep. So the... Um, the strategic intent is really important and I think that helps to set the vision and the direction the company's heading towards and it can help, you know, the whole value chains in other words, the supply chain and the various stakeholders around that brand owner to support that intended action too. But a bit like, you know, if you think about like, what is it like for a tanker to move from direction A to B and a speedboat, you know, a tanker is obviously going to take a long time, whereas a speedboat can move much more quickly. But in both cases, the direction of travel is a crucial thing that we need to think about. So I think the important thing with all of this is that, yes, let's absolutely, when a company is making a statement, let's hold their feet to the fire if they're not doing things. But I think it's really important to make sure that they are reporting their progress, making sure that that's clear, making sure that's consistent and it's transparent, and that they're also picking out things such as the challenges and the dilemmas 
as well as the successes, because of course we all like good news, but it's the challenges, the dilemmas and the successes that's being reported. So, we, you know, we're not getting a skewed picture. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and as I say, as interested stakeholders, then we can all look at them and say, well, you said you were going to do this. What have you actually done? You can actually hold their feet to the bar if it's, if, you know, if they've not done what they're going to say, that yeah. they've said they're going to do. But I do think it's important to ambitious, to be ambitious and to try. Um, because otherwise, you know, change simply will not happen quickly enough. So they need to try. You have to state your intention and you have to try. There is a quote I've always loved from Dr. Martin Luther King. He said, we we must accept finite disappointment, but never lose infinite hope. In your view, from a sustainability perspective, where are we along the accepting finite disappointment to losing infinite hope spectrum? Do you still have infinite hope in our ability to meet the environmental challenges we have? I do, actually. I absolutely do have infinite hope and, hope and optimism. I'm, I am actually very optimistic. You know, I accept there's a lot that's tough, a lot that's difficult, a lot that's damning. It can look really like a dark thing. However, unless, and I say that, you know, pointedly, unless we're prepared to do things differently, then we've already condemned ourselves to this, whole, you know, this horrible notion of a spiraling future of doom. So, and it doesn't need to be that way. And, and, and that's also why we spend so much time at the Heaven Company as being advocates for education. And it's not just for the supply chain, but also educating the next generation because we need change to happen. And we need, you know, we need new thinking, we need new models of working. So the next generation can help to make that change as, as well. So we're looking to the future, we're investing in it, we're investing in young people, we're helping to make that strategic investment in the future and in the firms with whom we're working and working to help change those narratives. Um, we're very much focused, we're very, uh, very, very keen on supporting the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals and working in partnership with clients and industry to help achieve those, those goals. Yeah. But I also accept that there is a lot of self-interest and as we said, you know, change does take time. But also a journey from A to B, it all begins with one step, doesn't it? You've got to have that first step. And then the most important thing is to keep on moving, taking the steps in the direction that you want to get to, towards your planned destination. Yeah. And so really what I would say in terms of that, that line and that continuum is that the more people that we can get engaged, the more people that as collectively as a community that we can bring together to work on this journey with us towards this more sustainable future, looking to the future, then the more kind of opportunities we have for the kind of future that we want for ourselves and for our families and you know, for the businesses that we lead and, and actually for humankind as a whole. So, yeah, so I'm optimistic, but we, it's about working together. When I was doing my background research for this podcast, I was looking at you know, the many innovative ways businesses are trying to become more sustainable. And one brand, Patagonia, the surfing and mountaineering brand, which I'm, I'm very familiar with, has always led the way in many respects when it comes to responsible fashion. And just a few weeks back, it announced the opening of its own first official pop-up secondhand store in, in Colorado, which is a, essentially a physical extension of its secondhand platform, warnware.com. Seychelles, the, the islands in the Indian Ocean, um, one that, or a set of islands that are directly and immediately affected by climate change, have also pioneered a couple of years back a debt for nature swap program um, and I know it's had its teething problems, but it does show great lateral thinking in terms of what countries need to do to address the environmental challenges we have. And in this sense, they're swapping debt to, um, in return for protecting 
areas of the Seychelles and, and keeping them as a nature reserve. So this makes me think of the quote attributed to, to Einstein, I think. We can't solve the problems we have by using the same kind of thinking we use to create them. So do you think our biggest collective challenge is not actually the environmental crisis itself, but the lack of imagination and creative thinking of those in power? In other words, do we need to fundamentally change the way we think about the challenge before we take the challenge on? Are we doomed to failure if we try and solve the problems we have by using the same kind of thinking we use to create them? Yeah, so it's a good one, that actually. Um, you know, there is, of course, the old expression or a well-known expression, which is, you know, doing the same thing and expecting a different outcome is the is definition of madness. So yeah. <laughs> I think you're... I think your question really does intimate that, yeah, we absolutely do need to have some, some changes. And it's an interesting example with the Patagonia example, suggestion that you just made, because one of our current projects is concerned with climate change and encouraging a change in the narrative, because typically everything's very heavily consumer-driven, much more around, you know, wanting more, needing more, you know, buying more. Uh, whereas actually we're really interested in changing that narrative. So just looking at things from a different perspective. So we've been looking at something and there's some good work emerging in research and development considering climate impact of fast fashion, you know, items such as t-shirts and what the resulting climate impact is of, of sort of things like water and material use compared with shopping, uh, shopping secondhand. Mm -hmm. It seems as though there's a strong appetite, um, particularly among young people when it comes to finding creativity and style by, you know, not just looking at what the latest influencer is, um, posted on an Instagram post, but they're actually sort of finding their own ways of finding fashion by literally going secondhand shopping, which is, I think, a really good point to do, looking at secondhand clothes as an alternative. So I think that Patagonia touched on a really important reuse message, and that, of course, also fits with the whole the sort of government waste hierarchy uh, strategy, as well as making uh, good business sense, but also promoting people to sort of look at things in a, in a different way. So the fact that they actually have made that decision to have a store uh, that you know, pop-up store that can do that. It gives it visibility, so that I think that's a good thing. So, anyway, you know, I'm an optimist, so I'm always looking at ways to, uh, how to solve the problem. And yeah. I think you know, using the old linear models that got us into the situation that we currently have is not the way forward. And you know, definitely we need these new models and new ways of thinking and a fresh perspective. And I think one of the models that's starting to gain traction is this idea of a circular economy or closed loop thinking. I don't know if you come across it, but the basic idea of it is that, yeah, so waste materials become the basis of a new product. And so rather than seeing that your waste material is the end of the product's life, it becomes the new material or the raw material for the next process of a product's life. It's a really powerful notion, and it's an idea that was successfully realized in the product and service um, more than a decade ago at a business where I was corporate responsibility director yeah. prior to forming the Heaven Company. And so it's not fully mainstream yet as an idea, but I think it's an idea that's beginning to take hold. And I think the more that we can see that and encourage that, it's a good thing. And, you know, we're certainly doing our part to promote this way of thinking mm -hmm. so that a new way of thinking in a sort of new ecosystem can be created and a different way of working and sort of valuing materials and, you know, valuing materials that can all sort of be opened up and encouraged in a different way. Yeah, so, so all of this requires new ways of working, new ways of thinking, new commercial models. So given this, do you think today's business leaders need 
a new set of skills, a different set of skills to take on the business challenges around sustainability. And what are those skills? If so, you know, is it a is it an evolution, or do they need an, an actual new set of skills to be able to activate and deliver practically on the sustainability challenges we have? That's, I think that's a super question. I think you know, I think there's an evolution, but I actually think it's almost going back a little bit, keeping things really quite simple. I was thinking of it from a position of openness, being willing to experiment. Uh, having the willingness to cross-fertilise ideas and just willing to try and pilot something new, just try a different way because so often, and you know, we've seen it, you see it all the time in board meetings, etc. We're always looking back on what the history of the figures have been, etc. rather than looking forward to what the projections could be. So we kind of need to look forward rather than always looking backwards. So, you know, and history doesn't need to set the future, basically. So we need to learn. And sometimes that learning might come from unlikely sources, but we need to be finding ways that are going to encourage much more sustainable innovation, while at the same time increasing social value and increasing the amount of social good. And, you know, we know that. We know that the brands that have social and ethical purpose are often stronger and longer running than their counterparts. Mm -hmm. And, you know, particularly when companies are looking for people, younger people to come into their businesses, that can be a really, uh, like almost a bit of a motivation, just understanding that actually if you are looking at social value or you are looking at ways that you can look at this broader purpose of what your business offers, then it's actually an important way to, to bring in new talent and recruit new talent too. We mentioned in the introduction about the initiative uh, you run called Briefcases, which aims to link up university students with businesses. And I understand you have around currently a thousand students in the program. And again, I was thinking when I was doing the research for this, for this podcast, is there a quid pro quo here that could be used? So business teaching students about commerce and commercial modeling and so on and building commercial businesses, but students at the same same time, because they are most intrinsically affected one way or another in the future by uh, climate change, they have much more awareness around sustainability and climate change. Could they be teaching businesses in return about what they could do um, to enhance their business credibility and their business credentials around sustainability? So as I say, could it be a quid pro quo? business helping students with commerce, the students helping business with sustainability. Absolutely, absolutely. So yes, Briefcases is an extremely powerful initiative. And it, it basically started with a question, which was why are students leaving university not business ready? Yeah. And why is there a disparity between what students learn and what business needs? Mm -hmm. And then the question was then, well, whose responsibility is it? How, you know, we need to make a change. Right? Whose responsibility is it <laughs> if we're going to make that change? <laughs> so we basically developed briefcases by using our connections with industry and business and then our university partners. And through that, we're able to shape, help shape what students learn and affect the outcomes of, of up to a thousand students each year. It's actually growing. So next year, we're going to see even more, something like 25% increase on that next year. And the program is growing and it's, and it, you know, we're so thrilled and delighted to see new partners uh, coming on board and from lots of different sectors as well. So I think your question is quite right. You know, with the, with the students, we, we encourage briefcases for students to be problem solvers. And so they're tackling projects they're taking these projects actually as compulsory content within their degrees and we have a strong focus on sustainability so immediately the fact that you've got that happening that pivot point happening it means that there's an opportunity for, for businesses also to learn about this sort of slightly new way of thinking that can be emerged by working with young people in this way yep. um, and we're working uh, with 
the main sort of like volume of students we work with are with undergraduate students. Uh, but we're also working at postgraduate level with a master's degree in global governance and sustainable development, as well as in schools. And we've got a trailblazing um, initiative called Briefcases for Schools, which is a 10-week taught program right. focused on sustainability in the built environment. And it's really about looking to the future. So, you know, it's fascinating because what we see is sometimes, because students kind of think, even the young students, even school students, we actually see sometimes they, they approach things in a different way, even the way that they're working in the classroom or working in groups. Yeah. And some of that learning actually could be a much more effective way for businesses. And, you know, one of our client partners was like, hmm, that's really fascinating. <laughs> I can't believe that these, these students have found, out, you know, found a way to like do this sort of group work in a much yeah. more effective way than any of the models that are, you know, technologies that are out, out there at the moment. It's like, wow. So, I mean, there's, there's learning in both directions. We're obviously supporting, teaching, and helping, et cetera. But actually the learning comes in, 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 in both directions, really. Yeah. So, you know, really, I think, I think absolutely the idea of the more that we can encourage this sort of, you know, this linking of business and education together, uh, this linking of making, you know, working with tomorrow's leaders and workers mm -hmm. to help encourage a more highly skilled workforce, but also that, you know, actually businesses can be giving that support through the kind of, uh, the, you know, the, the, the ideas and kind of some of the learning that we are actually putting back into the students as well. It helps to bridge that gap between what the students are learning and what businesses actually need in the future. And so, you know, we should get to this lovely position as things continue to go on in the future where we, we, we see much more positive outcoming comes coming through and much more positive results orientated views of being of business being of sustainability begging your pardon being sort of generated into businesses as well and it's because of that that natural flow and that sort of that flow that's happening with students and education coming together yeah i mean one thing i'm always intrigued with is the, the climate crisis is huge and it requires collective and global participation to make it truly effective but when you're speaking to companies, you know, in your day to day, when you're out there with the heaven company, however big these companies are, they are just one company. So how do you break that down and ensure they believe and keep believing after you walk out the door that regardless of what everyone else does, what they do as one individual company matters? Mm. I mentioned ethical leadership at the beginning, and I think that is really important, but you know, actually, the ones that kind of stay the distance and are taking this long-term view are the ones that perhaps have a leader in their businesses that really understand that this is a long-term plan. So actually, you need the leadership in the first place, and that will help to keep things moving forward in the right direction. But also, supply chains are really important. I, I know we touched on this earlier, and I can immediately think of one of our sustainability partnerships that's transforming lives and, and the work of around 4,000 people by engaging the supply chain. So if you can imagine that, yes, you're working with the leader of a, you know, a, like a forward thinking business and you can actually help to move all of the, moving that needle forward so that the business itself is doing all great things and they're improving their operations to sustainability, et cetera. They're great, doing great things while you're there with them and also that work plan is continuing when they're not there as well, but that's the direction of travel that they're working on. Yeah. But then just imagine if you're able to also engage the supply chain too and you can help one company improves its operational sustainability and actions, but then increase the amount of social and environmental value delivered by working through the supply chain. So you can really start to see the seismic difference that's actually possible. And, and I think more that you can kind of do that thing, that sort of action, 
it kind of almost takes on a momentum and life of itself because you know you're on the path and everyone wants to keep going on that path once you start so it you know the leadership is really important at the beginning to get things started but you just need to create the momentum and that's and and you know it's the leadership and the supply chain and the two things that can come together to make sure that you know it happens you know it doesn't need just to be only happen for that moment in time it has to keep on going yes so one final question when you're speaking, and I guess with briefcases, you are you know, frequently speaking to the next generation of entrepreneurs and potential startup leaders. When you're speaking to this next generation, what advice would you give them about how they can build fundamental principles of sustainability into their business from the outset? So how do you start a business? How do you launch a startup with a sustainability mindset from the beginning? Well, I think... The fundamental starting point for getting on this journey, really, it's about making a commitment. It's about making a decision of what your personal commitment will be and what you believe in that's going to work with in your business. That's the very, very first step, starting point, just to have an understanding and making making a commitment of like, mm, this is where I stand, this is what I think it needs to be. Needs to be. We as the Heaven Company have devised a special small business approach called Promise and Prosper, and it's for entrepreneurs and startups and small businesses right. to help them get started with CSR and to make CSR real. And as I say, that first step in developing that sustainability mindset is around making a commitment, you know, making a decision and a commitment. We know that mature companies see that there's a reward for leadership on sustainability, and they can see that there's lucrative and it's competitive advantage. And why can't smaller business have that opportunity too? So you know, we, we're, we're looking at it from a small business point of view as well in terms of uh, how we can help that. And so we put something together called the Seven R's to CSR Success, which is the how piece in terms of how you can help the next generation move through to successful implementation. And it's a much more simplified approach than what you would necessarily have in much larger businesses. But the idea is really that you have the strategic objectives uh, based on whatever your business is, because obviously, as I said at the beginning, every business is different, yeah. and then you have a clear idea of what the expected or hoped for outcomes are. And so, you know, the, the first step I would certainly say is actually making that commitment, having an understanding of what commitment it is mm-hmm. that you're prepared to take on, and and then actually starting to work it through. And you know, if if your if your listeners kind of want to find out more, if anyone listening wants to find out more, then just you know, reach out to me on LinkedIn. I'm happy to share more detail. But that first step is about making that commitment, making a decision of whether it's a personal commitment or something that you think that you can stick with over a period of time, over a longer term period of time. So after that first step of understanding the why, I I heard a really great interview with. Um, on the radio the other day where the environment was discussed and the interviewee said we all have our own internal carbon offset calculator where we will do some things that we believe benefit the environment let's say recycling but then we'll offset them in our minds against I don't know let's say embracing fast fashion so in our heads while we've purchased lots of clothes that some people will only use once we've justified it by saying that we're kind of carbon neutral because we've put out the recycling. It's a, it's a, a mental calculation that we make to make ourselves feel better. So I thought this was a great singular example on the radio of the challenges we face collectively, both as businesses and individuals and communities. So if you extrapolate out the principle of this example to business, how do you start the process of convincing a business? It's not just about offsetting, not just about planting trees to make them feel better, but that they actually have a responsibility. They need to commit to doing it the right way. 
you know, oh, wow. I mean, it's a funny example, actually. I'm, I'm not familiar with the uh, one that you mentioned about this, uh, you know, fast fashion versus recycling. But I guess it's a bit like the sort of diet and exercise analogy where people exercise lots and lots and then eat lots of fattening things because yeah, they've done the exercise, yeah. you know. Um, so I think that actually if using your example and using my example of diet and exercise, this is much more about sort of lifestyle changes. And if we're looking at lifestyle changes and we extrapolate that across the business, then we're talking about business changes. And we know none of us are perfect, but the crux of it is is that we need to be able to try we need to try. We need to try to do more. We need to think about what the role of business actually is. And we need to reestablish businesses' ethical positions. So you think about some of the organizations, whether it's a John Lewis partnership, a co-op, you know, the Quakers, all of these things. You have to think about what it is, that what the role of business in the first instance. And so much has happened in recent times. And, you know, people want to see more transparency, more accountability, and a better understanding of the role that business plays on, on society. So I think that, you know, you know, we, we we know that we know that you know financial metrics are important for any business uh, to take on board. But actually, finance isn't the only metric. We want to have a much more holistic view of looking at the whole uh, parameter of things. So I think you know, doing things the right way is about looking at not just oh, is this enough? Is is this what I need to do to make my make a business, you know, make a profit, but actually what are the other things along the lines that I need to be doing? And the challenges that the wider world faces, you know, with global population increases and climate change issues and social unrest and depleted natural resources, you know, there is a need for businesses to do more while achieving their business objectives. So when clients are working with us on the sustainability agenda, you know, they know that they're making a strategic investment in their firm's future because ultimately people are much more interested in in the kind of like how you do what you do rather than just what is it that you do you know so yes. conscious consumers are making a choice in terms of okay you know they're much more discerning about how things are how things are done you know that they're interested in that now thank you veronica that has been really insightful such a great interview it's um it's been so good to have you on the podcast thank you thank you so much thanks for your time and thanks for your views okay so before we sign off for any of you who would like to understand in more detail what Veronica and her team does and who they do it for, please go to theheavencompany.com. That's theheavencompany.com where you'll find all the contact details. And just before we go, a quick word from the sponsors of this podcast. This week it was again sponsored by UK multimedia design and animation studio Kamuka. Check them out at kamuka.com. That's C-A-M-O-U-K-A.com. So thanks again for listening to the new PL Principles and Leadership in Business podcast. As it's the week of Christmas, we'll be taking a break for a couple of weeks and we'll have a full program of weekly podcasts for 2020 with some incredible guests lined up to speak to. Finally, thank you all for supporting us in 2019. It's been a brilliant start to the podcast series. We're nine weeks in, nine podcasts published and some amazing discussions without some outstanding, inspiring and insightful guests. If you have any questions or you just want to discuss how we can bring amplified creative thinking to your business, get in contact with us. All the details are on our website, amplifiedcreativity.com. We'd love to hear from you. And if you'd like us to consider a specific topic related to the new P&L or interview you, let us know too. We'd be very happy to chat. So I'm Paul from the Amplifier Group, wishing you a very Merry Christmas, a very enjoyable break with your families, and I thank you once again for listening.